Welcome to the To Be Honest podcast. Today, we are speaking with Katie Williams. Katie holds a master's degree in social work from Sacramento State and is currently accruing hours towards her license in clinical social work. She currently works full-time in the social services department at Regional Medical Center in San Jose and works per diem at Momentum for Health and DaVita Kidney Care. She is also an outspoken advocate for people living with mental illness and experiencing addiction. And most recently, she started her own business, Speak No Stigma, through which she plans to share her personal experience with behavioral health while providing hope and the appropriate tools to those currently in recovery. So welcome, Katie. Hi, it's so good to be here. (laughs) Thanks for being here and willing to share your story with us. Um, Before we jump into all the questions, I wanted to ask, um, as I do every guest, to be honest, how are you doing today? To be honest, I'm good. Today is my day off. Um, I'm a huge advocate for (laughs) self-care. So um, I think, yeah, today's a really good day just because I get to focus on me, focus on things I love, such as, you know, getting to talk about my story. And um, so, yeah, today's a good day, to be honest. (laughs) Awesome. Have you done anything today to focus on your self-care specifically or just relax? You know, I woke up late. That felt great. Um, I was able to um, cook myself breakfast for once in my life. Um, I try to prioritize that, but some days it doesn't happen. So I'm happy to say that this morning I actually had a breakfast. And then as I'll talk about, um, I took my medications on time, which for me is very important. Um, And again, I'll talk more about that. But yeah, always a good thing when I get those taken care of first thing too. To start off, would you mind sharing a bit about your personal experience with mental health and behavioral health? Yes, of course. So my journey with mental health began pretty young. Um, I was about, I'd say nine when I first started showing some symptoms. But it wasn't until I was about 10 that things started hitting the fan, um, so to speak. Um, So my initial symptoms were classic OCD, um, repetitive behaviors, um, repetitive uh, compulsions and the ruminating thoughts. And for me, um, I don't know, some of you may have heard of uh, OCDR. And it's basically, it's kind of a term that people have coined for relationship OCD. So for me, um, I was really impacted by uh, relationships with others. And so that's what I really focused on. I would ruminate on, um, you know, it didn't have to be um, anyone or any kind of person in particular, but oftentimes it was just a friend or it was, you know, a boy that I had a crush on or what have you, um, that I would have all these thoughts like, oh, they they don't like me or, oh, they think I'm weird. Um, So all these, again, like disturbing thoughts to me as, you know, a 10-year-old girl or whatever. Um, and trying to be liked by others. So um, it kind of started there, and it got pretty severe. Um, I would say um, it hit kind of a catalyst. There was like this point in uh, fifth grade, so I was about 10, where one day in particular just got so overwhelming. And at that time, I had started to become depressed too, because you start, you know, having all these messages in your head that young about like, 
who, you know, how you feel weird and all this stuff. And of course, you're going to start feeling depressed. Like, and for me, it really began to escalate to depression. So I remember it was June 18th of 2003. So that was two days before my 11th birthday. And it just, it got so bad to the point where um, I told my mom that I didn't want to live anymore. And something inside me just kind of snapped. And I remember grabbing a bottle of pills and just running down the street um, of from my house. And that, I think the important thing about that piece in my story is the fact that when I got to the end of the street, um, I I didn't want to die. Like it wasn't this feeling of wanting to die. It was this feeling of wanting to escape and just like, could this be the thing that gets me away from how I'm feeling? And I think that's a pretty important part of my story, just because it shows that difference between needing help and wanting to get better while also, you know, not knowing what to do and just kind of having that moment within myself. So, so anyways, that led to my first hospitalization. Um, And so at the age of 10, like I said, right before my 11th birthday, um, I was hospitalized on um, what's called a 5150, which is involuntary psychiatric hold. And so that was my very first experience being in the hospital. And obviously at age 10, 11, whatever, like the concept of being in a hospital for that to most other kids is pretty, you know, it can be isolating. It can be very um, difficult. And of course, there weren't the words to verbalize this back then. I wasn't able to tell people. I felt very stigmatized. Um, And so that battle went on throughout, you know, it's kind of just something I was fighting from elementary school to middle school to high school. And then, of course, it added all the hormones and all the, you know, feelings of like, wow, like now I recognize that I have a lot of other stuff, a lot of other changes happening in my body. Um, And so that just kind of escalated it. But I would say in college, and again, this is just a very brief overview of my story, but in in college, um, I realized that it was my time to kind of, I had to take things over for myself. You know, I was blessed that I had a mom who growing up was always on it for me. She was always like, Katie, you need to take your meds. You need to go to your therapy session, whatever. Um, And I was very lucky to have access to those things. But, um, but, you know, when I got to college, it was all on me. It was like, what, what can I do? What, what do I have to do to keep myself going? Obviously I had to be in charge of my meds. I had to be um, the one who if I had therapy remembering the sessions. So it kind of changed the dynamic for me. Um, so again, that's like very brief overview, but, um, but that's kind of what it was like before. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, I think it's interesting to hear that you experienced all that at such a young age. I think a lot of times we think of mental health issues happening as a teenager or even an older adult, but we don't think someone as young as nine or 10 could experience these things. Um, so when you were, when you did start to experience OCD with, you said relationships, um, did you feel like everyone else in your grade was experiencing the same thing? Um, or how did you feel about then? Did you feel like you were different at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt definitely like the outcast. 
Um, I remember um, one time I was explaining this to somebody and I was saying, you know, it's like, how do you like feel like you fit in when the rest of the world, the rest of your world around you is focused on playing or, you know, having imaginary like time, you know, fantasy play, whatever. Um, And then there's you who's so caught up in your own thoughts that you can't even like begin to think about just playing a game or, you know, the concept is foreign. Yeah. Yeah. So when you first started experiencing those thoughts and feelings, did you, did you feel like you could talk to anyone about it? Did you, I know you said your mom was kind of on top of things. Did she notice any differences in you? Um, You know, I would say that for a while um, I felt like I could not talk to anyone outside of my family about it. Um, I was able to, there was a few people um, who were close to me growing up who one of them was a neighbor who lived next door. And I remember with her, it was kind of like, you know, she was also experiencing some depression. Um, So whenever I found somebody who had that experience, also, I kind of like clung on to them because it's like, oh my gosh, this person's like me. And so that, so it was cool when I had that, but I think I was also just so in my own journey to, you know, like I was homeschooled for a while or I was on independent study. I guess that's what it's really called. Um, And this is when my OCD had gone really bad also. Um, And so that was, you know, it was a good thing because I could focus on school and what I had to do. But it was also very difficult in the sense of like, oh my gosh, like I'm literally isolated. Like all my friends are at school and going to science camp and doing all these fun things that I just never experienced. Yeah, that must have been really difficult. Um, And I can't imagine also, you mentioned being 5150 at a young age. Was that scary for you? What was that experience like? It's so interesting because I feel like had it happened as an adult, Mm-hmm. Like that, I think it would have been a very different experience, and it is a different experience. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, like I almost I wanted to stay there. Like looking back, it's kind of sad, but I wanted to stay there because at the hospital, like everyone else was going through their own stuff. You mm-hmm. know, there were all these other kids with other issues and with other behavioral issues, other um, you know, familial things, traumas, and we were all just kind of in there together. And it just showed me like, wow, I'm not alone. Like there are people who are worse off than me. There are people who, you know, their mental illness is way worse, or there are people who, you know, have this experience. So in a sense, it kind of showed me, um, you know, that I, that, yeah, I'm not alone in it. And that was something that I think back then I really craved is Mm -hmm. knowing, you know, and sticking to people who, yeah, and sticking to places where I felt accepted or like I wasn't the weirdest person there. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Um, And the last thing I want to touch on about your story in general is you mentioned that the transition to college was kind of, um, you said that you had to start taking care of your own mental health in a sense, like you had to take your own medications. Did you feel, did you prepare for that ahead of time or... For someone going through that transition right now, what, what would you recommend for them to do? I would, you know, for me, it was kind of a struggle bus. <laughs> because I, I think, you know, I really, my mom was just so instrumental in making sure that I had what I needed prior to that, that I think um, I wish I would have prepared, but it was kind of a method of trial and error. Um, you know, for me, it was, you know, for a while, 
um, I think I, I had to let it get bad in order to realize, oh, you know, I got to get my, get this under control. So, um, so I'd really recommend to anyone who is making that transition um, into having to take care of yourself that, you know, the meds really well. And, you know, I kept a pill box. So for me, taking medications worked. So um, I had a pill box that I would put, you know, um, each day's pills, and then I'd refill it every week. Um, and so that was really helpful, but also just creating some kind of a routine for myself. That was also something that helped that I would recommend is just figuring out, okay, what's my morning routine. And especially in college, you can choose like the times of your classes. So I found that that was really cool because I could make that time for a workout class to take care of myself. I could make the time for my appointments. So I would recommend people take advantage of that, you know, if they're, if they're at that point. So you mentioned that you you do take medication, but were there other ways that you went about coping with your mental health? Um, would you mind talking about that? Yeah. So as a kid, I would say that writing was a huge tool for me. Um, I did a lot of writing, whether it was poetry, whether it was, um, you know, just writing um, anything. Like I used to come up with stories and write like my own elementary school kid fiction, you know, and I would make kids books and do some artwork. So I think creativity for me was my biggest outlet. Um, I also uh, back then did a lot of acting. So I found a lot of joy doing theater as a kid. And I think that was helpful too, because I got to kind of step outside myself in a sense and kind of put things into perspective and feel what it might be like to um, experience someone else, which back then that was, that was kind of a cool thing um, because I was able to put my own personal touch in it um, as well as, you know, getting to yeah, play out a part, which back then I think I needed a break from myself every now and again. So that was really, really helpful. Yeah. That's awesome that you found something that, yeah, you could kind of, yeah, like you said, escape through that medium in a sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about your work a little bit and what you do now, because you give back to the community through your work now and give back to those who are in kind of like your shoes back then. Um, would you mind talking a bit about your different employers and kind of what you do now? Totally. So yeah, um, you know, when I got my degree in social work, um, and by the way, that was literally, I was meant to do this. I mean, it's my sole work. Um, and, and I was very lucky to have a lot of mentors that kind of saw that in me um, and kind of knew the direction that I would head in and kind of, I think, guided me along that. But um, but it still took me a while after I got out of grad school to find out what it was that I wanted to do. Um, I remember, you know, it was I want to say for probably the first two years after I graduated, I was like, what did I do this for? <laughs> like, I don't even like what I'm doing. Did I spend all that time in my master's program for nothing? And it's interesting because I think that's kind of aligned with a lot of with what a lot of people experience after college. Like, oh, my gosh, why did I get this degree? Whatever. And for me, it was the same with a master's degree. But what I did find that um, once I found my niche and once I found really what I was, you know, what I was good at, what I liked, then it's like the work, it didn't even feel like work. Um, so I'd say that for me, um, you know, back then when I first kind of figured out what it was that I wanted, 
um, which was in November, which is when, or November, 2018, which is actually when I started working at Momentum. Um, and I just immediately, um, yeah, just fell in love with the work of mental health. And I think for a while I had kind of pushed it away. Cause I'm like, Oh, it's going to hit too close to home. It's going to be too close for comfort. Um, but I found it was the opposite. I found that it was so cool to be able to give back. And, um, I started in a crisis stabilization unit or the CSU. Um, and so I found that that was, um, it felt, it felt like seriously the most meaningful thing to be able to give these people who are only there 24 hours since it's a crisis unit, um, to be able to give them these like little nuggets of just like, you know, whether it's empathy, whether it's, um, a strategy for managing anxiety, whether it's just briefly touching on trauma and how to, you know, put on the brakes with their trauma and discussing it. Like, yeah, to me that just, I, I was so good at it, like naturally good at it that I think from there, I just kind of took it and ran. Um, so from there, um, I also ended up working in crisis residential, which for me, um, and today, um, I still do per diem work there. So I do a lot of, um, as needed or on call work, um, with the crisis residential units, which is really cool. Cause it's, it feels kind of like the hospital vibe. So like, you know, all my experiences getting hospitalized were not for nothing, like they were, you know, it's, it totally prepared me. So it's just amazing seeing how all these um, experiences are like perfect for each other and lead to one another. So, so that's one thing that I do. And that's one thing that I really love. That's kind of the work that I do that no matter what I can do it. And it just fills my soul. It just is my heart work. Um, but then I also to take care of myself because sometimes when it's your heart work, it means you put a lot of you know, energy and emotional energy into that. So um, kind of the other stuff that I do, um, I also work uh, at Regional Medical Center, which is a hospital here in San Jose. Um, and so I work in the social services department. And it's similar to crisis stabilization work in the sense of, you know, these are all people coming in here who usually don't stay more then whether it's 24 hours in the emergency room or whether if I'm working like ICU and supporting the families or regardless of where I'm at, um, you know, it's, it's this feeling of like, wow, I'm able to just touch in on literally for some people, the most painful moment of their life and just be with them and just offer them again, just a little nugget of whether it's warmth or empathy or understanding um, to, you know, while they're trying to cope. Um, you know, and for me, again, super rewarding. Um, I also like how fast paced it is. And I feel like there's a lot of kind of without being in a mental health setting, being able to really work with people and get them connected to resources. Um, and then lastly, I also work per diem at DeVita, which is a dialysis center. So I work with patients there who um, have end-stage renal disease and who are, you know, needing um, connection to psychosocial resources. So oftentimes that means like whether it's transportation or income assistance. Um, so I, I have a bunch of, like I said, kind of expertise when it comes to different things. And I think the resources that I have had access to all kind of work together. So yeah, I but I love what I do. Everything that I do. <laughs> yeah, you sound super busy, but it sounds like all amazing work. So yeah. yeah, I love that every piece of what you've been through adds up to kind of where you are now. And 
makes you enables you to do the work that you do, which is really cool. So totally. Yeah, no, totally. And you kind of touched on this, but is there one thing that you love most about the work you do? I would say that what I love most about the work is just the fact that, you know, my my own experience, even though it's in the back burner when I work with these folks, um, yeah. it's the fact that somehow my pain was not in vain. You know, my pain was not for nothing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I love most is getting to use that pain to really um, help others and to really feel like I'm able to support people through these painful moments of their own lives. Um, so it's a gift. It's really just a gift. Yeah, definitely. I feel like it probably helps you on your recovery journey too. So that's really great. Definitely. And I know that obviously it's very, like you said, it's emotional sometimes to do this kind of work. Um, is there anything negative that you find about this, this area of work in case anyone is interested in pursuing social work or working in a hospital setting? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, there are pros and cons to everything, right? Um, but, but I think, um, especially when it comes to working in a mental health setting, if you do have your own challenges, um, it's not that you can't do it, but what I highly recommend is make sure to put yourself first. I mean, this comes in all aspects of life, but I always have to remind myself, you know, um, I am a, uh, person first and a social worker second. Um, and that kind of, you know, for me, as well as, you know, I'm a person first and a person living with mental illness second, you know, just showing, you know what, we all, we all have something that we're trying to manage, um, for the most part, at least I, you know, I don't think there's someone who's not managing something. Um, but yeah, for anyone going through that, I would just say, yeah, prioritize yourself. Um, and prioritize self-care. Find that one thing that kind of gives you joy, um, fills you up. You know, we all, I think sometimes when we focus too much on work, it's like we're in a, we have a cup and it's slowly emptying, you know? Um, and I just, I always recommend find what fills your cup. Um, and that's, yeah, probably the best piece of advice that I can give you. Um, and for the hospital too, um, just, you know, just know that it's kind of, like they're kind of opposite, like working in the mental health setting, you want to keep people there. Like you want, you want people to get help. And at the hospital, it's like, okay, how can we give these people what they need and get them out? So we have other spaces for people who need to have them as well. So different for each one. So I wanted to also talk about your speaking business um, that you're starting kind of now you're launching it, I think soon. Um, So what made you want to start your own speaking business? So, you know, when I was in college, um, we on Sac State's campus, we have this uh, program called Active Minds. And it's actually a national organization um, that I think focuses on youth. But um, but through that experience, through that internship, um, I told my story for the first time. Like, I mean, I told it to people, but in front of an audience, like that was the first time that I told it in front of my other students and kind of gave words of wisdom in working with people who are experiencing this stuff that obviously came from my own personal experience. So that was the first time I ever told it. And I just remember, it's like, if you can imagine kind of like a Jenga tower or whatever. And like, as you take one piece out, um, you know, you're, you just, you kind of feel the light, the lightness of the, I don't know if that even makes any sense. (laughs) Jenga, Jenga, or like a puzzle or something. I don't know, but it's like you, you're able to find like 
just one aspect of maybe the pain that you went through and just pull it out. It's like, it disappears. Like, um, and I guess what I mean by that is like, I just felt this relief that started to come. And it's like every single time I would tell my story, it's like another piece was like taken out of my pain um, or, you know, like chipping away at something. It's like it chipped away at my pain. Um, and, you know, I found that really it was kind of a natural high for me, like going out and telling my story. So I started, like I said, in front of the students um, that I was working with, but it kind of grew. And like in, um, in 2016, I actually spoke at the Capitol um, for the out of the darkness um, uh, suicide prevention walk through American foundation for suicide prevention. Um, And so I was, I spoke at the Capitol um, then as well as for mental health matters day in Sacramento Um, And again, I just, it's like this release, like, wow, you know, this thing that society says is taboo or that I have to keep silent about or that I felt like I had to be silent about. Suddenly I'm talking about it. So that said, that was in Sacramento um, and I moved back to the Bay Area um, in 2016. And ever since I've just had on my mind, like, you know, I love speaking. I love being able to see that education and see the difference that it makes um, with other people and getting to hear my story. So I've decided to start my own um, little business and kind of the goal. Um, and, you know, I hope to build upon it when um, maybe I can even start training other speakers, people who might want to tell their own story, um, as well as, you know, for businesses, maybe that want to know kind of how to address uh, mental health um, on a more uh, competent, you know, in a more com- competent way. Um, so that's kind of one part of it that I hope for the future. But for now, um, I'm just trying to really market myself as someone who, you know, is there to tell that story, not just of the mental health piece, but really the hope and the recovery that comes when we put in the work. And when, um, at least for myself, when we realize that pain doesn't have to be for nothing. And like our own stories impact other people. Um, So that said, yeah, I'm hoping to um, be able to speak to whether it's businesses here in the Silicon Valley, you know, it'd be really cool to get to talk to, I don't know, people at Google or wherever that, you know, maybe don't get the mental health component or the self-care component that in my field in social work, we talk about all the time. So I think it's a discussion that a lot of businesses could benefit from, um, as well as just, you know, other audiences, like various events. Um, really, I'm not picky about where I speak, but, but yeah, I'm just hoping to tell that story of hope. And, you know, I just hope that as people hear it, that they just are inspired and um, want to go do something about it or about their own. Yeah, that's really awesome. And I know that at least since I started working in the mental health field, that the stigma has decreased quite a bit, but there's still so much work to be done. So I love that you're putting your voice out there and being an advocate and kind of making your own business out of it. I think it's really cool. And I hope people hear this and want to hear you speak because I've heard you speak and you're really good. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. And you know, the, the other thing too, that I think about is just how, yeah, not only does my, my story have 
that impact, but also, like you said, like there's still so much work that needs to be done. And so I think my focus, if people want to know kind of what my speeches are about, I really try to talk about the more taboo topics. And what I mean by that is like, you know, we, there's definitely an awareness that, oh yeah, lots of people have anxiety. There are, you know, one in four people live with a mental illness. Um, Suicide is the second leading cause of death in college students. There are a lot of statistics like this. But what I'm finding is the real deep stories, like, for example, my experience being 5150, I think, you know, for certain audiences, that can be a very important thing to just, um, you know, take the stigma out of the most stigmatized areas. Um, And so that's kind of my goal, too, is to really talk about the hard stuff. And the nitty gritty of what it kind of takes to sometimes get help and to eventually find, find and pave your own path to recovery. Yeah, that's really great. I love it. Um, Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to your younger self when you first experienced symptoms of a mental illness? So if I could go back and tell myself, um, I think I would say, you know, don't, don't see this as a part of yourself that you want to hide or that you want to get rid of instead, like let her know, like one day, this is going to be your strength. Like this is your superpower. Um, I always joke that, you know, social work, social workers, we're all superheroes. And I truly believe that, but yeah, like living with a mental illness, like there's, there's strengths in that. And sometimes it takes time to kind of see what those are. But like, for example, OCD, Um, you know, I've learned to really pay attention to the details and even with depression, like it's taught me empathy. Um, and so really look for the teaching moments as well, the teaching moments that life and, you know, just living with mental illness has to offer. Yeah. I like how, I don't know if this is a weird compliment, but I like how (laughs) introspective you are because I sometimes get, I don't know, like you you've gone through a lot, obviously, and you've taken that, but you see so many positives of it. And I just really like how you've like, clearly, mm-hmm. you like, I don't know, I don't know how like digested it and like, found yeah, found the positives of your, your experience. So yeah, um, definitely. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, what is something that you do every day to take care of your mental health? So I think I mentioned earlier, I do take my medications, um, as well as I've been taking vitamins, you know, during the winter months, um, especially, um, I'm mindful of the fact that the changing weather can have an impact on, especially my depression. So I focus on taking, you know, like B vitamins, um, D vitamins, anything that can kind of help with my mood or that's shown, you know, some significance with that. Um, But also for my mental health, I think the biggest thing that I do is just have moments where I do a self check in. Um, And I found that that really helps just being mindful, you know, asking myself, okay, it's 12pm or okay, it's like 3pm. How am I feeling? Have I eaten lunch? Have I slept or did I sleep enough last night? When I get off work, do I need to take a nap? Um, do I need to, you know, take um, an additional dose of my medication maybe tomorrow? So just so I'm feeling better um, as needed, of course, not and prescribed, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. But but yeah, just doing like a check in um, and just, you know, body scan, seeing do I have any pain anywhere? Um, I think that that can make a really big difference just in how my day goes, like really getting to know myself. I've heard that a lot from our podcast guests, just being kind of self-aware, both physically mm-hmm. and emotionally is like so important when you have a mental totally. illness. Totally. 
so you know exactly what's happening in your body and you can kind of yeah. like fine, fine tune things um, yourself before things, you know, right. get worse. Right. And also, um, I want to add to that, like there's in the, you know, in addiction or um, in the rooms of like AA and stuff, they have um, a, an acronym called HALT. And so that means hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And I've kind of adopted that for my own check-in process too, is just asking myself like, okay, um, am I feeling hungry? Like, could this be why I'm feeling like upset right now? Or am I feeling lonely? Is that why right now I have this desire to kind of shut down? Like kind of, you know, analyzing myself for that too. I found that can be a really helpful thing to do. Yeah, that's a really great tool. Yeah, I never thought of that before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What is something, you kind of talked about this already, that, I mean, the work in itself that you do is kind of a positive from having a mental illness um, that you found, but is there anything else that you found from having a mental illness um, that's positive? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really awesome. Um, I think, I don't know how to say this, but I just feel like you're going to go really far with your speaking business. And <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing all the positive things you do because you're obviously a very um, um, caring and genuine person and contribute a lot to our community. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, before you go, would you mind sharing where people can learn more about who you are and learn about your speaking business? Totally. So um, if you want to book a speaking engagement or if you're just interested yeah, in learning more about who I am and the work that I do, or if you have a question, um, you can find me on Instagram as uh, Speak No Stigma. And you can also go to speaknostigma.com. Um, and then uh, lastly, you can also just look up uh, Katie Williams speaking engagements on YouTube and you can probably find something there. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Glad to be able to tell my story to you guys. And yeah, definitely. I hope to be speaking somewhere um, at a time really soon. <laughs> yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Once we're all able to be back in person or even digital events, I feel like you'll probably do great at that. So yeah, totally. everyone reach out to Katie for any speaking engagements. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm open to virtual too. So yeah. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Katie. It was such a pleasure talking to you and I hope we can talk again soon. Same. Thanks so much.
All right. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. <laughs> The To Be Honest campaign was created by Momentum for Health and is sponsored by District 4 Inventory Funds, thanks to Supervisor Susan Ellenberg and Republic Urban Properties. This episode was hosted and edited by me, Avery Cruz, as well as edited by Peyton Delahay. Music for the episode was made by Julia Steele. Thank you so much for tuning in as we continue to share stories of youth and young adults throughout the Bay Area who have personal experience with behavioral health issues. If you have a personal story or experience you'd like to share on the podcast, please email us at tbh.today at gmail.com. To learn more about the To Be Honest campaign and the podcast, we encourage you to visit our website, www.tobehonest.today, and be sure to follow us on Instagram at tobehonest.today. All this information is also in the show notes, so we look forward to hearing from you soon. Bye.